This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. First episode for F23. Yes, true. Happy New Year. Oh, yes. What a party and celebration we had. (laughs) We always talk about we should do something for end of financial year or like start a financial year. We do. But it's just just like- We never do. We never do. Like you do your tax and you move on with your life. Yes. Back in the corporate world, there was a bit more going on, but- here at Equity Mates, it's just another day. Yeah, too much stuff going on. But uh, happy financial year, new financial year to uh, to those out there that do celebrate it a little bit more than he- we do here at Equity Mates. But Ren- I might start taking it as a holiday. <laughs> no, no, you try and sneak in so many holidays. A, uh, a big show today. So we're going to start off with a, a market update and try and answer the question, is inflation over? <laughs> Very provocative start. Macquarie have released 16 stocks that they classify to be a recession-proof portfolio. So we'll check in on that. Can't have an episode without talking about Bridgewater Associates. We've had <laughs> the majority of our episodes, we haven't spoken about them. I had a look at uh, some of their top holdings and there's a bit of a what the moment. There's uh, let's, ju- let's just say that even the best investors make common mistakes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to, uh, we're going to chat through that and then close out with the conversation around the Widowmaker trade. Yeah, if you don't know what ominous. that is, stay tuned. But Ren, before we jump in, we've, uh, we've launched another thing here at Equity Rates. I know, Media. I know. In case we didn't spend enough time looking at our phones already, we have uh, launched a new Instagram account, uh, The Dive, the new podcast that we've been doing, uh, talking about business news. If Equity Mates is all about investing, The Dive is a little bit broader. It's about the world of business. We've created an Instagram account to go with it, The thedive.businessnews. Uh, go and check it out. We are sharing news stories from around the globe, making them hopefully digestible and accessible. 
Yeah, check it out, the dive.business news. That's it. Multiple news stories a day from around the world. Yeah, keep you we'll keep you up to date with what oh, well, I was going to say with what's going on in the world with <laughs> what we can keep up with in the yeah, world. Yeah, what we can keep up with. Some <laughs> of the I would say some of the different b- business headlines that you might not see on the front page of the AFR or we're trying to uh show everyone the excitement that business news is. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting, it's interesting, but the other point of frustration for us has been that so much business news is short term. Yeah. You could take a rule, or you could take a red pen to the AFR or to the Wall Street Journal or to the Financial Times. Financial Times is actually pretty good. Yeah, but, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just cut two-thirds of the stories out and say this isn't going to matter next week. Yeah. Um, and that's frustrating and, and I think that turns a lot of people off. And so we want to really focus on that that remaining third of stories and I've just pulled that third out of <laughs> yeah. thin air. But the, those stories that, that do matter and that we can really learn things from long term. So it's a big mission. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> we are. So check it out, the dive.businessnews. If you're also not subscribed to the podcast, jump on to your podcast player and subscribe to the dive as well. So Ren, is inflation over? A bit of a market update because um, obviously- the We're last, done. The la- We're <laughs> that's through. it. We're through. The last couple of months, uh, inflation has been roaring. We've seen uh, multiple interest rate rises from central banks around, yeah, around in- the world. Yeah, inflation has been the word of 2022. Absolutely. And there is some indicators that you could argue might lead- to some suggestions that inflation is over. Well, Bryce, you know I'm a fashionista at heart. You know, <laughs> if I wasn't doing an investing show, I would probably be doing a fashion YouTube. And I am Couldn't agree more. <laughs> I am very um, closely watching the raw input costs that go into the fashion world. Yes, you've been watching the price of cotton. I have actually. <laughs> there you go. So. Uh, Cotton got rug pulled this month, Did you could it? say. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it collapsed. I mean, the the price of cotton is a commodity that's traded and it just dropped. It's down like 30% in a month, a bit over a month. But in June, yeah, it just straight down wow. off a cliff. Yeah. Wow. What led to that? Inflation's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think this is a broader trend we're seeing in a number of commodities. The last sort of month or from sort of early May, we've seen commodities fall. And in an inflationary environment, you would say uh, commodity prices should rise because the value of money is less. Mm. And if commodities hold their value, uh, they will go up. And that's sort of what we saw. We saw oil and natural gas go up because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all of that. But we've seen across the board, commodities have been really strong in 2022, coal, iron ore, all the agricultural commodities. Um but they're softening. Oil down 7% in the last month, coal down 5% in the last month, copper down 13% in the last month, iron ore down 9% in the last month. What's going on? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. My key takeaway from this, though, is that uh, this can all change pretty quickly, particularly oil. I feel that all it takes is for uh, expectation again to be to be missed, and so what I'm feeling is happening at the moment. I'm sensing that the expectation for yeah. our inflation numbers is going to be softer, and all it's going to take is for the 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 inflation numbers to be higher than expectation, and bang, we're back to three four percent drops on the market overnight, and those sorts of things. So uh, I guess you you could say that um the flow and effect for natural gas down twenty percent, oil particularly is a is a yeah, big, that, is a big input. That's, that's we, probably the key one. I think 
think I actually skipped natural gas there. We should make that clear. Natural gas down 26% in the last month. Yeah, pretty yeah. significant. Um, but for me, yeah, oil is is the big one. Uh, a lot goes into to uh, the oil price. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, time and energy from analysts go into the oil price given the implications it has across so many businesses. And then we know an interesting uh, chart that our comedian V Economist boys, Thomas, posted this week to show the relationship between oil price and the NASDAQ. When oil is down, NASDAQ is up and vice versa. So um, I think he called the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think you said the really important thing there, which was expectations. So I don't think it's a coincidence that early May when some of these commodity prices started to soften was around the same time that central banks' rhetoric and actions started to harden. Mm. So if we think back to May, what did we see? We saw a 50 basis point uh, rate increase in the US. We saw rate increases in Australia. In June, we've seen rate increases everywhere as well. well yeah. Mostly everywhere, not Japan. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, and, and alongside that, we've seen the central bankers, one, say that they were wrong about inflation being transitory, and two, get pretty aggressive in what they are saying. The um, the big three, the uh, European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, Jay Powell, the Fed Reserve Chair, and I'm going to forget the third guy, the Bank of England Governor, Mark, Andrew Bailey. Don't know where I got Mark from. <laughs> um, the three of them spoke at a conference uh, last night uh, when we were recording this and basically all of them said the same thing. The era of moderate inflation and low interest rates is over. And we need to take drastic action to break the back of inflation. And I think the market's seeing their actions and hearing them. And that's probably why com- commodity prices across the border softening a little. Yeah. Speaking of central banks, I have I just have no, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but I have no time for the RBA. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I'm here for the uh, RBA equity rates beef. They've just got it so wrong all all the time. They just get it so wrong. Yeah. I just don't understand. Do you reckon that. you could do a better job? No. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but if all they're doing is one meeting a month to determine what happens with rates. <laughs> but I... Look, they just get it so wrong, and so yeah. and so every time, every single time. Yeah, They've, I don't. I don't feel like they've ever front run anything to truly. And I could be wrong here. Like I'm. I'm I don't have decades I, of experience. I, no, no. Like, I, I think. I think you're right, and I think they're too reactive. They. I feel view. like so. Jay Powell has come out and basically said we had no idea, and I think. Phil is Phil Lowe? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, Lowe. Phil yeah. I think he said the same thing as well, didn't he? Yeah, but it's it's didn't in he get, hindsight. Didn't he get grilled in like an interview with Lee Sales recently? I think so, yeah. yeah. But I mean he was saying, you know, no rates until twenty twenty four. Yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. A, that's a this stuff what up an from absolute yeah. boo boo. Like, so and I mean like we talk about it academically, you know, like they don't get it right. But like a lot of people took that as a commitment and yeah, yeah. borrowed on the back of the it. The implications and of yeah, that. Yeah, like it's actually really not great. It's pretty significant, yeah. yeah. And, they, and they know that their commentary has has serious implications for how people make investment decisions. Yeah. So, yeah, getting it so wrong for me. It's it's it's, And then they come out with commentary around, oh, now, you know, we're starting, might see inflation softening, those sorts of things. You've got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So... 
we'll park that until we get Philip Lowe on the show. Um, Good point. <laughs> but uh, I was flicking through uh, commodity prices uh, before this episode to have a look. Some of the commodities that are traded are pretty fascinating. Okay. What do you reckon has orange juice? Not oranges, orange juice. <laughs> I didn't know that was a commodity. <laughs> Neither. What do you reckon it's done in the last month? Um, skyrocketed. Nah, up yeah. 1%, but up 50% year on year. Wow. Yeah. Does that correlate with the price of oranges? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't actually see an oranges one here. Price of potatoes have absolutely tanked in the past month, okay. down 38%. Okay. I wonder if Maccas will pass that cost saving on to us. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sunflower oil down 21%. That's actually a really important one because- the Ukraine is a major global supplier of sunflower oil. And uh, on the dive, actually, we did an episode talking about how a third of UK fish and chip shops might have to close um, and part of it because they couldn't get cooking oil or cheap cooking oil. So it's good to see that price has come down. Canola has also come down. Cotton we spoke about. Palm oil. Wheat down 15 or down 16% in the last month. I mean, there are some, some commodities are up, but generally- Things are down, which is good to see. Yeah, nice. Yeah, tea up, probably to do with Sri Lanka. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. have you seen what's going on over there? Uh, no. With their, like, so they're obviously in this economic crisis, but now they're rationing fuel to such an extent that, like, people can't get any. Yeah, like, it's right. at that wow. point now. Wow. So it's like, it's almost like a de facto lockdown because wow. people just can't get fuel. Because they can't go anywhere. Yeah, oh, yeah it's pretty devastating. Sucks. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of prices down, Ren, just to close out this segment, um, you'd remember when we were doing our Ausbiz channel late last year, there were a couple of, um, uh, you know, lumber was one that yeah, went, yeah, went yeah. skyrocketing. So um, there was a, a Bloomberg article that kind of recapped on some of the, I guess, some of the products or goods and services that uh, skyrocketed late last year and where they're at now. So trucking, we know, absolutely went ballistic in the uh, second half of 2020 into 2021. Trucking, uh, the price of trucking per mile or per kilometre is drastically dropping in 2022. Yeah. Shipping rates have come right back. Okay. Which was, I remember that was a massive um, concern during COVID. Shipping yeah. rates were through the roof. Lumber has, um, I wouldn't say fallen off a cliff, but it's down from about 1,200 and whatever it was from memory per what is lumber sold in ton no nah, it, meter it square? would be it would be <laughs> some log? like bespoke um per uh here you go us dollars per 1000 board feet <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> so it's down from about 1200 back to about 500 so yeah, okay. significantly down uh, and Rolexes have really chilled as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. I used to work with a guy that collected Rolexes and I just didn't pay it at all. <laughs> fair call, fair call. <laughs> so, look, I guess the takeaway here is watch this space. We know we're going to have uh, an update coming soon on inflation numbers and there's always, a, of, of course, a monthly meeting between central banks as they determine what to do. So, um, yeah, watch this space, I guess. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So, Ren. Well, I think before we, just to answer the question that we started with, we asked, is inflation over? I don't think we can say it's over. No, Commodity so. prices are falling, but a lot of the issues are still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
So, Ren, uh, moving on, Macquarie have released some research done around uh, some stocks that perform or sectors that generally perform well during a recession, and they've created a 16-stock recession-proof portfolio. Yes. Now, yes. this is Macquarie. <laughs> yeah, not us. <laughs> <laughs> not us. This is Macquarie. We will be uh, – yeah, it's an interesting list. It's it's all ASX, but before we get into that, they there were some interesting findings from previous recessions. Yeah, so they kind of split recessions, uh, and I think we caveat this by saying there's some conversation around the states going to recession, will Australia, TBC, but the, the recession word is certainly out there, which is why they've done this. And uh, the the Macquarie analysts split recessions into two parts, um, and the first part, part is obviously that contraction phase where economic growth really sl- really slows down, and uh, if we're to be technical, a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. I don't think Australia has had their first quarter of negative GDP growth at the moment. The states, I think, have just. But um, they had a look at the sectors that perform well in this sort of contraction phase. So the best sectors are staples and utilities. They outperformed 13 of the past 15 times we've gone into recession. And give us an example of each. Consumer staples, staples. Woolworths, Coles... Utilities is your power. Like your AGLs water, and AGLs, your origins. Yeah. Transurban. Nah, that would That's be infrastructure. an infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Health and telecom outperformed 12 out of 15 times. Uh, and then gold outperformed five out of eight cases. And uh, it has the second highest average return during a contraction phase of a recession, whether or not that's playing out at the moment, though. I think it's holding up okay. Uh, I was Digital gold, not so much. but <laughs> <laughs> No, digital gold, definitely not. Uh, but uh, health with, you know, um, CSL, for example, telecom, Telstra, and uh, gold is gold. On the other end of the spectrum, though, Ren, uh, industries to perhaps be very careful of in the contraction phase uh, of a recession is are industrials. They have uh, never outperformed and diversified financials and basic materials have only outperformed two or 15 times. So there are sectors that uh, I guess don't respond well to a contraction in GDP. You think about the mechanisms there, like that. that isn't surprising that like basic materials, like, like commodity producers and stuff like that and industrials that are tied to like the overall output of the economy mm. like that that's not surprising that they don't perform well when there's less spending and less economic activity and diversified financials like a lot of them are correlated to spending. the stock market well also the stock market so that then leads to the next question ren around well what are they actually putting into these yeah this is the uh this is the interesting thing <laughs> so, so you gave us a few buckets there consumer staples um utilities healthcare telecom yep. and gold. Yeah. Now Macquarie haven't quite followed their own buckets in this, but they no. broadly have. Yeah. So let's start with consumer staples. So they have three stocks in consumer staples, uh, all very well well known. And one notable omission, I must add. <laughs> uh, they probably just wanted to give these some airtime. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> tell us what they got. So they've got uh, uh, the only stock in there is Woolworths. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They don't have Woolworths in there, surprisingly. Uh, Coles Group, Endeavour, which uh, spin off from Woolworths, and Metcash. So Coles, we know, is uh, one of Australia's largest retailers. Endeavour Group, um, they own BWS, Dan Murphy's, and ALH, largest, um, the largest uh, owner of hotels and pubs in Australia. And Metcash is 
IGA. Yeah, the IGA like, um, supply chain. Banner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then like IGAs are yeah, franchise. like, franchised and yeah, stuff like so that. They, yeah. yeah, they feed into into IGA. So they've gone heavy on on uh, on retail, obviously, because it's consumer staples. Um, yes, they have left out Woolworths. Uh, not sure why. When I think about recession, these are the companies that always come f- come to mind first because people always need to buy food. Yeah. So they're going to stick around. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's a pretty unsurprising list. I don't, I don't have a lot of thoughts, to be honest. Um, I, I had a look. So um, we love Ticker here, T-I-K-R, and I just was having a bit of a look at some of these companies on Ticker and see what I could find. I was actually trying to see if Macquarie hold them and you can actually see all the major ownerships, um, but there's just like there's so many and all the ETF providers and Vanguard and JP Morgan. So Macquarie do own some of them, but then it's like do they own them for clients or, yeah, like, you yeah. know. But it's funny, like there's a bunch of stuff you can see in here. You can see uh, when insiders bought. So for Coles, Stephen Kane, the CEO, Dropped about a million and a half dollars on Coles shares in August last year. Nice. Um, Good good sign. Not a good time. Not a great time. But Coles has actually held up okay. He's not down too much from August last year. Yeah, I mean, look, those three companies for me are are pretty pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. If you're you're investing with, well, depending on what your your ESG lens is, you uh, mightn't be too happy to see Endeavor Group in there because they obviously – uh, are the operator of probably the biggest group of pokies in Australia now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Infrastructure, Ren, was the next bucket that uh, Macquarie came with. So four stocks here, Transurban, Origin Energy, Amcor and Aurora. So Transurban are the operator of, of toll roads here in Australia, Origin Energy, we know is Origin Energy. Amcor is packaging. Pa- packaging, yeah. yeah, that's right. And Aurora is uh, S- similar packaging. Is it packaging? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Macquarie obviously bullish on the packaging industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I wonder, I wonder what it is that um, makes that sort of recession proof. Well, I, I think like the the same the same logic that applies to consumer staples. The the reason that. Coles and Metcash and Endeavor hold up uh, is because people need to keep buying food and for those companies to get the food it's <laughs> needs to be packaged. It's packaged, so it's it's Vizzy, Aurora, Amcor, and then it it's pallets as well. Ah, oh, don't get me started <laughs> on pallets. <laughs> uh Transurban, not surprising. Transurban is the you know, the quintessential, it's like the economic textbook example yeah. of an inflation hedge. It's like, yeah. you know, ability to raise prices and um, inelastic demand and all of that. So not surprising that any of them are on there. But again, like not a lot to say. But there is a really interesting story around origin and the energy transition. Um, yeah. And that's probably a whole other overlay that you have to put over any company involved in energy in Australia at the moment. But I don't think it's surprising that Macquarie put Origin and not AGL. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah, yeah, Origin v AGL. That makes uh, that makes sense. So, consumer staples infrastructure. Their third was healthcare. Uh, so they have three stocks in healthcare. CSL, uh, mind you, these are all Australian stocks. We should say CSL, uh, Ramsey Healthcare, Ramsey Ramsey <laughs> Healthcare, and ResMed. Uh, three pretty well known uh, Australian 
healthcare stocks. Now they've decided for their gold exposure to go with two. Yeah, and just just quickly on Ramsey, it may not be listed for long because yeah. KKR are trying to buy it. In for their gold exposure, they've gone with gold miners Newcrest Mining and Northern Star. Yeah, and then food, and I think this is more uh, actual food production rather than sale of food. But they've gone for. Grain Corp, United Malt Group, Elders, and Costa Group. United Malt Corp. United Malt Group. Group. What are they? They are brewers and distillers in North America? Yeah. Wow, there you go. Uh, well, they they serve the evolving demands of brewers and distillers in North America. There you go. So The production, sale, and distribution of bagged malt, hops, yeast, and adjuncts. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what I'm taking from this list is that Macquarie are pretty bullish on two things holding up. The uh, demand for alcohol and you've got like United Malt Group leading into an Endeavour Group or leading into an Aurora and an Amcor to package it and <laughs> box it up, leading into an Endeavour or a to Coles sell to sell it. Yeah. And so demand for alcohol and then demand for food. And yeah. that's where you've got like a Grain Corp, um, or you got elders with the land, and then you got like Costa Group and Grain Corp, or Costa Group growing the thing, Grain Corp trading the thing, and then packaging it up in an Amcor and in an Aurora, and then selling it at a Coles or an yeah. IGA. And then a side dish of healthcare because everyone still needs that as well. Because if you <laughs> eat too much and you drink too much, then you need healthcare. Yeah, that's yeah. the type of analysis that, go, <laughs> that goes into building a portfolio. But anyway, there are 16 stocks aligned with the sectors that they've done some analysis on that uh, shows, I guess, outperformance in times of a contraction. Now, I guess keep in mind as well that we're not uh, – uh, we're not in a recession at the moment, no. but um, that's just some analysis they did to show what might happen. And just keep in mind that so many of these lists published seem to anchor to large cap stocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, it's the ASX twenty there. The, the, well, this is at Without least banks. this is at least a few different names. Yeah, the, uh, the notable omissions are things like no banks or financials and stuff like mm. that. But Livewire published a list of top twenty inflation hedges, um, and we put it up on our Instagram because I just thought it was so funny. The top five. See if this rings a bell. <laughs> BHP, CSL, Macquarie, Woodside, Commonwealth Bank. It's the top five. It's like the five biggest companies. <laughs> like obviously Macquarie not isn't in the top five, but like it's just like hell? it's just the biggest companies. <laughs> that's so boring. That's so boring. Anyway, so uh, that that's that's the sixteen stocks from Macquarie. It is worth mentioning, and this is something that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks, or at least um, nodded to. They they have suggested that the biggest thing they're keeping an eye on at the moment is actually corporate earnings, because mm. um, we all know what happens when uh, corporate earnings downgrades start to come in, and when those also also when those downgrades um, are more than expectations, and so. Uh, with everything that's going on in, on with inflation at the moment and I guess broader ma- macroeconomics, we might start to see, you know, downgrade on balance sheets and, and those sorts of things. So Yeah, um, no, no, July will be the moment because we'll start getting American Q2 earnings this month and then it's also confession season in Australia because we probably won't get – uh, earnings until August in Australia. Yeah. But if companies if companies need to downgrade their forecast, yeah. they'll do it in July. So yeah. 
Um, yeah, th- this month we on to your seat. This month we'll learn a lot, and some of the numbers. So, for example, Bed Bath and Beyond reported when this is out last week, but yesterday as we're talking, revenue sales down twenty five percent. Wow, big box retailer in the states, and like, is that a sign of? consumer weakness, like weakness on the consumer balance sheet. Bed Bath & Beyond is like homewares and stuff like that, very much consumer discretionary. You stop buying new towels before you stop buying food. Or is that just a poorly run business that is struggling? And so it's probably Bed Bath & Beyond in particular is a poorly run business. So that probably isn't a great indication, but like Walmart, Target, Mm -hmm. Amazon, like they're all to come. Yeah. We'll definitely see it. I feel like it's going to be a two or three month, easily a two or three or four month lag for consumer confidence is now getting pretty bad. It's just- and It's just going to start flowing into into uh, these consumer discretionary stocks. It's just so funny because do you remember at the start of the year, everyone was like the consumer balance sheet has never been stronger. People have saved so much during the last two years and there's all this pent up demand, all this pent up savings and we're good. And then things turn really quickly. And obviously, like, there are reasons why that has happened. Energy prices are so high. Food Mm. prices are rising. General inflation across the economy. Like that, yeah, high interest rates, like, that all weakens the consumer balance sheet. But it is just funny. It's it's a real reminder that you got to take the day-to-day news headlines with a grain of salt because if you had invested on the back of the consumer balance sheet has never been stronger, you would have piled into the consumer discretionary stocks thinking that there's a lot of pent-up demand that's going to be released. But that it might w- still be true, but the confidence for them to now deploy that and put it into that consumer discretionary stuff rather than say I should hold on to this because things are tough. Mm, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Ren, we're going to take a very short break to hear from our sponsors and then when we're back, we're going to take a look at uh, some weird things going on at Bridgewater and the widow maker trade. So uh, we'll be back in a second. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. So, and just very briefly, had a bit of a what the moment when I was, I don't know what, that's right, I was doing a social post and I saw that Bridgewater Associates, yes. Ray Dalio, World's biggest hedge fund, yes. about $160 billion assets under management. Yeah. yeah, massive. Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio is up 26% this year. Not bad. Pretty, f- not bad. <laughs> <laughs> pretty phenomenal, pretty phenomenal, up 26%. I guess that's what the purpose of a hedge fund is to be able to- Hedge performance. Hedge risk, yeah. Hedge risk. Uh, not related to this performance because I th- 
you, you actually don't get insight into a lot of the stuff that they're doing behind closed doors. They don't pub- make it publicly available. Mm. But I did have a look at some of the 13Fs or the filings for um, public disclosure for what they are buying and selling uh, in some of their bigger portfolios. And it was surprising. I remember a couple, maybe a year or so ago, we did the same exercise and some of his largest holdings were the S&P 500, yep. the NASDAQ, yep. some of the biggest uh, indexes in the world. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that 13Fs, you only have to report on American holdings. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's not a complete list of everything that Bridgewater owns. We could do the maths. I don't know if you got it in front of you, but we know they've got about 160 billion assets under management. Oh, it's definitely not all reflected in the 13Fs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in saying that, yeah, what we do see paints an interesting picture still. Yeah, well- the- that the dynamic has changed. He still does hold a couple of the S and P five hundreds and whatnot, but three out of the four top holdings disclosed, roughly ten percent of the portfolio, and now is now emerging market exposure, mm-hmm. which is firstly a bit of a what the yeah. But secondly, the more surprising thing was that it's done in three indexes: Vanguard Emerging Markets Stock Index. The iShares Core MSCI Emerging Markets and the iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, both of which feel like they should just be the same ETF, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. Mm. But uh, I guess the what the moment is, is has this guy ever heard of ETF overlap and why why doesn't he just buy the one ETF, honestly? Yeah. But pretty surprising that... Um, well, I don't know if it's surprising, but I was interested to see that he's going Did hard you, on um, emerging markets. Yeah, I wonder what the difference is between the iShares MSCI emerging markets and iShares core MSCI emerging markets. Yeah, probably just the exposure to maybe like country. The, yeah, or the concentration of yeah. it. Yeah, but also just like, hey, have a look under the hood. Just buy buy one. All right, well, here's the question. So three emerging market ETFs, the Vanguard one and then two iShares ones, do they have the same top holding? No. No, you say? No, I say. <laughs> well, uh, they do. They all have the same. Do you want to guess what it is? Emerging market company. It's one that we've definitely spoken about on the show before. Is it a Chinese stock? Uh, it's not. Is that an emerging market? Uh, it is for the purposes of these ETFs. Uh, it's a South. It's an Indonesian stock. It's definitely not an Indonesian <laughs> stock. <laughs> I, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, I'll give you the country. You'll guess it straight away. Taiwan. Semiconductors. Yeah. yeah. TSMC. Uh, number one in all three. Uh, about five percent of each portfolio, or six percent of one. Uh, next two are the same, but in different orders. Oh no, sorry, in the same order in each of them. Do you want to guess them? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so top Taiwan semiconductor, second on all of them, Tencent. Yeah. Third on all of them, Alibaba. And I'm going to, and then it moves a little bit. Uh, then Samsung is uh, up there. Also Reliance Industries, mm-hmm. that massive Indian conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meituan, the Chinese Uber Eats is also up there. Um, they're sort of the top six. Okay, this kind of is starting to make sense because he's very bullish on China. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the I guess, so he's a macro investor for those who are unsure. Macro investor has released a lot of um, commentary over the last couple of years on the changing evolution of uh, geopolitics at the moment and the change of the guard between US and China. And and I, I now it sort of starts to make sense why he's going so hard on 
uh, at least the top 10% of his portfolio is exposure to those big companies. So that that makes sense. The really interesting thing, so I'm just flicking through these lists now, really interesting thing, and this is a good reminder to always look under the hood, South Korea. The question of does should South Korea be in the emerging markets index? Well, Vanguard have obviously answered that to the negative because Samsung just isn't in this holding. But BlackRock or iShares have decided that South Korea should be in the emerging market classification because Samsung is in both of their ETFs mm, that we're looking mm. at. So even if something says it's got the same label, emerging markets, it's it always pays to look under the hood. Mm. There's some fascinating companies in here. Like we could go down a deep rabbit hole, so let's not, but like talking about Vale in Brazil and mm, mm. um yeah, anyway. So interesting, but yeah, I agree. ETF overlap. ETF overlap. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, Ray, come on. Next I guess learn a thing or two. I guess the thing is, you're paying more brokerage because you've got to trade multiple positions. But does Ray pay brokerage? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bridgewater would probably keep a few uh, brokerage houses in business. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know the complexity of managing multiple positions. Bridgewater can probably manage it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, mindful of the time. Yes. Uh, let's get on to the widowmaker trade, uh, a term that is used to talk about Japan. Okay. And I think it's worth talking about Japan because we're talking about inflation, we're talking about interest rates, but there's one country bucking the trend around the world, and that is Japan. So the widowmaker trade is a trade that has broken a number of big investors over their time, they get enticed by the idea that Japan is going to default on its debt or that Japan and that because of that bond, Japanese bond prices will fall. They look at debt to GDP. They look at the demographics of Japan. They look at the economic growth. They just look at Japan and they say- It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Bond prices can't stay high. So I'm going to go short bonds, short Japanese bonds. But what has always happened is that even as Japanese debt grows and grows, bond prices don't fall. And that's largely because the Japanese central bank is very active. And we'll get to that in a second. But some of the best investors of our time have lost their shirt on the Japan trade, the widowmaker trade. Uh, David Einhorn, mm. um, who also lost his shirt, shirt shorting Tesla, yes. um, in 2009 said Japan's debt burden would lead to a government default, shorted Japanese bonds, was unsuccessful. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kyle Bass, um, who's another big investor, uh, predicted that the Japanese government bond market would collapse. He was wrong. Uh, David Roche, uh, someone I haven't heard of, but um, he predicted a surge in Japanese yields and you know, if yields are going up, Bond prices are going down, never came to pass. Um, yeah, because so many investors kept making the same trade and kept losing money on it, it got labeled the widowmaker trade. <laughs> I don't mind it. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty funny. Um, and now with inflation high around the world, a number of investors oh are getting back into that trade. 2022 is a year for this uh, short Japanese bond trade. So around the world, we spoke about it earlier, central banks are raising interest rates, except the Bank of Japan. They have a view that cost push inflation is temporary, but also that higher interest rates aren't going to really break the back of inflation because it's cost push. It's mm. food prices, it's energy mm. prices from events around the world mm. rather than demand pull. I have time 
for the Central Bank of Japan. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. The the idea, the, the counter-argument, though, is that if you raise interest rates, you can still break the back of cost-push inflation yeah, yeah. by demand, demand destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but inflation right now is 2.5% in Japan. And similar to the rest of the world, wow. you know, the 2010s, they were desperate to get inflation in the system and they just couldn't. Um, but yeah, 2.5% in Japan. But they're still keeping rates near zero. And the Bank of Japan have a, they control the yield curve on their bonds and they cap their 10 year government bond at 0.25%. And so people, uh, investors are piling into this trade thinking that they can't keep that cap, that that's not going to last. And they're going to be forced to raise rates and take that cap off at some point, which will see bond yields increase mm. and bond prices fall um, as a result. So that's the situation. That's the trade, the Widowmaker trade. The setup is there. Fascinating. The variable is the Bank of Japan. And this is the fascinating thing, I reckon, because they will do anything, and I mean anything, to protect to their market. It, yeah. So the Bank of Japan has bought so many Japanese government bonds that they now own 50% of all Japanese government debt. Wow. Yeah. Which is a little bit of like left hand. Yeah. T- yeah. Like taking from left hand to pay right. I don't know what the analogy is. But like what? what's the end? Like could a central bank just keep printing money and own 100% of government debt? Like surely not. Yeah, surely not. Maybe in theory. I don't know. Like are we going to see that in Japan? Because like the other thing is the yen is dumping. Like yeah, the, yeah. no one wants to own yen because if uh, American government bond will pay you 2%, why would you own a Japanese government bond that yeah. pays you 0.2%? Yeah. So everyone's getting out of Japan yeah. and into other currencies, other government bonds and stuff like that. So the, the currency is also collapsing. I the don't sto- know. It's, it's strange. The yeah. Story, yeah, but I think history shows itself. So how back, How far back? David David Einhorn, 2009. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, before... What so thirteen years ago? This is this the story, and the story probably goes. Story goes before back him. before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they buy government I just feel bonds. Like the Japanese are, they'll just stick to it. Yeah. Well, so they <laughs> so fifty percent of all government bonds are owned by their central bank. Yeah. Also, between twenty ten and twenty twenty one, the Japanese government spent about half a trillion US dollars buying stock market ETFs. Yeah, I remember seeing a couple of years ago the stat about how much of the of the stock market Japanese they stock market. Yeah, yeah how yeah, much yeah. of the Japanese stock market they have they yeah. own on their on their balance sheet. And it was an extraordinary amount. Yeah. Just propping up, propping up, propping up. I know. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Now they changed they apparently pivoted that policy a little bit last year. Or they're not buying one index, they're buying another index or they're buying less or something like that. But yeah, they're they're still buying a lot of bonds. Um, I mean, they're consistent. Then they're sticking to their message and they're staying true to their strategy. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like this is probably not super relevant for us. Like I'm not long no, or no, short no, no. Japan, but I am fascinated to watch this play out. That a trade that hasn't worked for over a decade is the setup is there again yeah. and investors are moving into it. Yeah. And I think it's just one to watch and one to be aware of. And it'll be interesting because if the Bank of Japan are right, that probably says something to other central banks around the world. Yeah, have a look at yourselves, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to – I just The other thing as well is just 2.5% inflation in Japan is pretty incredible. Yeah, you mean low? Yeah. Like, yeah. Ev- so even though they're experiencing cost push inflation, yeah. obviously not as reliant on a lot of external – 
No, I, th- I think it might be an indicator of uh, how things are going, you know, even with uh, price rises, like consumption is probably going down and stuff like that as the population gets older and there's less people working and stuff like that. Maybe say maybe people save a lot more, so mm-hmm. rather that like the much quick demand destruction might happen a lot quicker mm-hmm. in Japan. I actually haven't looked into it. You're right. I wonder what their um, target rate is then. Two percent. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, so that's cruising. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, but the thing is, there's different ways to get to two percent, and I think the way that they want to get to two percent is from like increased yeah. consumption, which fuels economic growth. Yeah. Whereas getting to two percent this way is not fueling economic yeah. growth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we've got a bit of a gripe with some financial media, as we've made clear in this episode and previous episodes. I googled the Widowmaker trade is back because that was the AFR article that sparked this segment. Yep. Um, I see they published it, I think, earlier this week or when you're listening to this last week. I just just googling, just looking at first page or two of results in 2010, a CNBC article, Widowmaker trade is back. 2012, Business Insider, same thing. 2013, Investment Week, same thing. 2015, Sydney Morning Herald, same thing. 2019, Financial Times, same thing. 2020, Bloomberg, uh, Widowmaker Trade is back. And then 2022, AFR. It's almost as if the editors are like, <laughs> well, it's that time of year again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It obviously gets some good clicks, but it's an interest. it's a fascinating trade. Yeah. But will the Bank of Japan have made the right decision pe- and the right call? I think. Pe- well, I think the point is people have called this this shot before, media expert investors. Yeah, and no one's been right. No, but will maybe this time be different. Maybe this time is different. Maybe this I mean, time the, is different. The broader macro environment feels a bit different. Yeah, but I mean, they've called it a lot of times. <laughs> they've called it a lot of times. Nice one to finish on, Ren. Uh, a quick reminder that if you haven't jumped in and bought your tickets to FinFest, Australia's largest finance festival that we are launching in October here in Sydney, 15th of October, uh, make sure you head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to grab your tickets. They are only $47, uh, half less than half the price of your average summer music festival, but it's going to have the same vibe, the same atmosphere, plenty of experts being flown in from around the country to help you on your investing journey along with uh, entertainment, food, bit of beer, bit of booze. It's going to be a great day. Less than half the price of your average summer festival and I guarantee at least double the amount of investing chat. <laughs> at least, at least, depending on what you and your friends talk about at summer festivals. <laughs> uh, but Ren, it's been great to chat. Plenty of stuff going on in markets. We uh, we cover a lot across the Equity Mates media network as well. Make sure you go and check out all of our other shows. We've got The Dive, which we've spoken about, which is our daily news show. We are relaunching Get Started Investing as well. It's taking a hiatus this week as we come back with a new format so stay tuned for that if you're um, listening to get started investing but we've got crypto curious talk money to me you're in good company and cve comedian v economist all covering everything that's going on in markets at the moment but ren always great to chat we'll pick it up next week sounds good equity mates investing podcast is a product of equity mates media all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. 
the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program.